Morning, everyone. It's a great day to, to be here, to be able to encourage one another and uh, lift up God's name in praise. Uh, as Carl mentioned, there's uh, John Free's uh, Celebration of Life will be here on Saturday, and people are welcome to participate here, but it will be broadcast on Facebook Live, and so you're welcome to participate in, in that venue as well. And uh, Jillian Music sent me a message here not uh, long ago. She's not feeling well today, so she's not here. Uh, so for the um, angel tree, if you have your gifts here today for those children, you just go ahead and put them on a, the tables there in the foyer. Pick a table, and Jolene will be in later today to pick those up and, uh, and distribute those. So that you can uh, just put, put them on a table, and, and we'll, be, we'll be good to go from there. We've been spending some time here in Titus, specifically Titus 3, verses 3 through 7, where Paul shares with Titus the gist of the gospel and the good news that God gives us. And he shares it in the context of people who are really struggling to do what's right. The people, as we talked about in Crete, that Titus has been sent to, they're kind of a wild bunch. And Paul has said, Titus, you got a big job ahead of you. It's going to be tough. But he shares over and over again those three short chapters is teach these people to do good. Teach them what it means to do good. And so we spent some time talking about this. And, uh, and I'll, be, I'll read in here in uh, chapter 3 here in just a second. Titus chapter uh, 3, verses 3 through 7. And, but first I want to share something that I think is important to get us in the front door of, of understanding some of this. Heroes play an important role in our lives, don't they? Because whoever we hold up as a hero, we look at them as someone that we, we think, oh man, that, there's some qualities there that I admire, there's some qualities there that I want in my own life. And that can go really well or it can go really poorly depending on the heroes that we pick. And we look at the heroes that our society holds up, we can uh, very quickly realize that there's our world is in great need of heroes who do good. And I think about it just from a funny example when I was a kid. The heroes that I picked, I found that they ended up having some negative influence in me. I remember when the Rocky movies came out when I was a kid. How many of you remember those movies? You've seen the Rocky movies, yeah. And I remember watching those and thinking, yeah, this is great, this is awesome, and sitting at my pillow and, and just beating the tar out of my pillow when I'd punch it, because the movie Rocky was about Rocky Balboa, the Italian stallion, a, a boxer from Philadelphia, right, that rose up the rankings and became the world heavyweight champion. Sylvester Stallone played that role. And I remember just thinking, oh, yeah, I'm gonna, I love this. But something the negative that came out of it is my parents told me, Chris, and I don't remember the words exactly they used, but it was something like this. Chris, just because you like those movies does not mean you can use horrible grammar and speak like you came from the, the projects in Philadelphia. Chris, we expect more from you. You can't use that. You've got to speak well. We expect you to use proper English and, and all of that. Or I remember when uh, Crocodile, or excuse me, Indiana Jones became something, uh, a hero that I was really excited about. And I remember that I made a, a bullwhip that I could uh, run around the woods near my house and I could use it. And I remember my parents telling me, Chris, we understand that you like Indiana Jones, but you may not chase the cats with your bullwhip. Okay? It's not okay. It's not all right. It's bad. And if we think about it on a more serious level, we've got all sorts of examples and heroes in our world that do not do good. 
Okay, we'll get to that here in a bit. But let's look at some of these verses that we've been through here the last while in Titus chapter 3. He says, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Now, we understand that, is that all of us at some point in time, whether we erred on the side of pursuing the sinful nature as in, in immorality and that, or we erred on the side of pursuing the sinful nature by being Pharisees in some form or fashion, we can look at our life at some point in time, if we've been around long enough, and say, yeah, oh yeah, I can see those qualities that were evident in my life. But... When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. God is not one that's sitting up there in heaven saying, well, you better get stuff together, better get your act together. But God Himself came down, walked among us as Jesus, and showed us, this is what I want you to look like. I'm going to do it myself first. Watch me. And then you do the same. And he continues on reminding Paul to share this with those people that he's sharing the gospel with in Crete. He saved us the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. So baptism that washes and renews us and the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. And so God went even further than sending Jesus, sending himself to walk among us, but says, I will continue to walk with you. When you become a Christian, you receive the Holy Spirit, and that Spirit is going to dwell in you and live in you and help transform you to leave those addictions behind, to leave that sinful nature behind, and to become something different, become something wonderful and amazing. I've got skin in the game, God is saying. I'm going to walk side by side with you. Those are both gifts of grace from God. Baptism and the gift of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously to the Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, so because the goodness of God has made it just as if we never sinned, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. And we spent some time last week talking about eternal life, about the physical resurrection that happens, how things can be amazing, all those back pains, all those headaches. Gary, there's one day where you're not going to have to breathe through oxygen anymore. Does that sound pretty good? Oh, man, anything like that. The future is better than the past, that resurrection. Not only that, Scripture talks about how creation is going to be restored. And I don't know what all that looks like, but it sounds like it's going to be awesome. And not only that, but this perfect community that comes together that uh, we have just a taste of here in God's church. We live together in community in some form. We have our individual houses and all of that. But we walk through life side by side, encouraging one another to live for God. Man, what an amazing thing that we have in this life. But we know, if we're honest with ourselves is that God's people here in this earth is that we have our shortcomings. And we fall short in all sorts of different ways, but when we go into eternity, it's going to be different. Eternal life is so much better than what we have here. And that's not just a pipe dream, that's something that Jesus has demonstrated for us. But look at the next verse that is here. And we spent the last month or so walking through piece by piece these verses here. Look at the next verse. Paul says, This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. So when we get that, when we get these previous verses, 
What Paul is saying is remind people to focus on those. Remind people to not let those verses, those concepts away from their heart and mind because we're to devote ourselves to doing what is good. And understanding the why is so important. And these are excellent and profitable for everyone. So remembering those things is important. So maybe the next question we can ask is, okay, that's great. I understand that because of the grace of God and what he has done in our lives, I am called to be God's workmanship to do good. That's what I understand I'm supposed to do. But what does that look like in a practical sense? Come on, Chris, give me some nuts and bolts of what does it look like to be one who walks through this life doing good? Well, if we turn the page back to Titus chapter 1, Paul tells Titus what this looks like. And I'll go ahead and turn there, and I'm going to read a few verses here. In Titus chapter 1, starting in verse 5, and then we'll hit the nuts and bolts of these things. Now, you'll notice right off the bat that what Paul is telling Titus, he's saying, these are the qualities that you look for in people who are going to shepherd God's church. And so we're, going, we're not going to talk about shepherds specifically so much today, but these qualities, or this list of qualities, are things that all of us should strive for, and all of us should want to look like. And so we're going to look at it in that context. So chapter 1 of Titus, verse 5, says, The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. All right, let's look at these qualities in general terms, because what Paul is reminding Titus here is these are the people that you want to shepherd God's people. But that's, these are qualities that all of us want, right? These are qualities that all of us want to demonstrate and be evident in our life. The first one starts off, and it's like an umbrella for all the rest of them, is being blameless. Someone who, the idea is is that you can't look at that person and say, oh man, there is all sorts of things about them that don't look like Christ. The idea is, is you look at the person and say, wow, I can see Christ living there. That's the idea of being blameless. And so here's some qualities. There's two of them that come up immediately. One who is faithful to his wife or invests in his, his or her in marriage is how we're going to share it uh, for in general terms today. And a man whose children believe or are trustworthy and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. So let's step back here and let's talk about this in general terms. Part of doing good in life is investing in our marriage and investing in our families or our children. Now, each one of us, uh, probably when we come face to face with this teaching, there's part of us that might think, oh, no, Chris, don't talk about that. I know I already do a bad job in these things, and I don't want to feel worse. Okay, That's not my point at all. My point, hopefully, is to call all of us higher to look a little more like Jesus than we did before. Let's look at the first one, being faithful to our spouses. Now, God call, has called us to be people that those of us who are married in this life, we remain faithful to our spouses. That's what God's plan is for us. And that doesn't include only being faithful 
in intimacy, but being faithful in all sorts of ways. In that taking the marriage to our spouses very seriously and putting God first. I think the best marriage counsel I can give to anybody is the same thing that God has called us to, to do in life. Is love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbors as ourselves. And when we take those concepts into our marriages, then really good stuff tends to happen. Something that, uh, that really got me thinking here a number of years ago, there was um, a lady in, in the church in Great Falls that was a counselor, and she uh, worked on the psych ward for a time. And one of the things that she mentioned to me that I wouldn't have anticipated, but she was talking about what is the profile for people that end up... Man, that thing about got away from me there for a second. What is the profile for people who end up on the psych ward needing a lot of help uh, to try to cope with their current circumstances from a mental perspective. And what she told me is, by far, the profile for people that end up on the psych ward in the hospital are people who are, and she mentioned ladies specifically, who have gone through life, who have worked really hard being really good mothers, and have thrown their whole selves into their families. And then when the kids launched, all of a sudden they looked around and they realized that they, as the kids are, don't need mom so much anymore, they couldn't figure out what their purpose was and they went into depression. And she said, many of these ladies, there's, we can help and, and there's good ways and, and good methods to be able to, to help give them purpose again. But what was really struck me was when I heard the term psych ward, that's not what I would think of immediately. But what the, maybe the problem or maybe the point here is, is that as husbands and wives, there's all sorts of distractions. And sometimes just being family can be a huge distraction and we lose the connection that, event, that initially drew us together to make that lifelong commitment together. And Paul here is saying, you know, don't do that. Now invest in uh, the person that you're married to, and um, and that's an important part of of doing good. And not only that, and there's a balance here. And whenever, if you ever figure out what the balance is, you come and talk to me because I want I want to know, and I want you to write a book about how that works exactly, right? But we're to be people that are invested in our children. There's a a lot of ways that we cannot be invested. We can pursue all sorts of hobbies or the work that. Uh, that controls us and, uh, and distracts us and we uh, lose track of our children. Or we can go the other uh, perspective and the other side is that we invest so much in the wrong things. Our world is full of uh, uh, worshiping sports and sometimes boy, our, our children, we anticipate that they're going to be the next Michael Jordan or the, the next uh, Dwayne Wade or, or Dak Prescott or whatever. And we invest so heavily in our kids' being good athletes, that we maybe miss the most important things is teaching our kids to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and love their neighbors themselves. Things to think about and things to remember because those are the things that God says, doing good, this is what it looks like. Things to consider. I'm in process and I'm sure all of us are and hopefully that's just an encouraging, um, encouraging message that Paul gives us to look a little more like Jesus this week. Here's some more qualities, and there's a bunch of them that are giving. One who is not, being blameless means one who is not overbearing. 
Someone who does not always demand to get their way. That's what overbearing is all about. And that's not godly. You don't get the impression when Jesus walked this earth that he walked around being extremely upset if things didn't go his way and demanding that everybody do things exactly his way. Now, we understand that Jesus provided the example for us to go to God, but you see the examples of like the rich young ruler when Jesus said, follow me, and gave what that looked like for him, and he walked away. Jesus didn't throw his hands up in the air and grab a bunch of dirt and roll around and stomp his feet saying, you must do this now. It's not overbearing. He's not quick-tempered. But one who said, this is the way to life, and I hope you follow it, but it's up to you. And you've got to decide that. Not one who is a temper tantrum thrower here. Not one who is given to drunkenness is part of being blameless. And the idea here is one, the exact phrase I understand, is one who does not linger long next to their wine. And that gives us a perspective, doesn't it? One who doesn't look at their alcohol and the wine and say, oh man, I love it, I love it, that's going to consume me. And uh, that's going to be an important part of my life. That's not uh, what is blameless here. Or blameless doesn't mean one who is violent or one who is a striker. This term is used as well, or the opposite of it. This term is used in Timothy, as Paul is writing to Timothy. And it, Paul says, and I think it's, it's an image that I've always appreciated. He says, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer. And so instead of lifting up our hands to fight and argue, he wants men to be people who lift up our hands in prayer. Men to be, instead of violent, but to be prayerful. That's what God's plan is for us. So blamelessness is not pursuing dishonest gain. In other words, doing everything I can to try to make a, a buck and, and uh, don't, don't care who else I hurt in the process, but being one who is, uh, who is honorable in that. Blamelessness is being hospitable. This is one, the term here is one who loves strangers. Now, if that's uncomfortable for you, that's okay. I think it probably is for all of us. The idea being is that when you see someone who is, for example, let's talk about it just in our assembly here. Maybe there's, there's people that come that uh, haven't been here before. Just welcome them and love on them. And say, hey, we love when, when people who are new come into our assembly. Or someone moves into your neighborhood. That you're the person that goes over and says, welcome to our neighborhood. Glad you could move here. How, I just want to be a blessing and how can I help? Those are ways that we can love strangers. Instead of just sitting in our own little group and sitting with, uh, in our comfort zone, we're willing to, to push out of that. That's part of loving what is good. <laughs> We see blamelessness means one who, as it is shared here, that phrase specifically, loves what is good. Now, we can be people who are split, where we love what's evil, we love what's good, and we try to balance that, and it never works. But God says, boy, it's great to be someone who just loves what is good, who is self-controlled, is thoughtful, does not just, again, react to whatever passions are in my heart, but I'm controlled by the Holy Spirit and I'm disciplined that way. In fact, discipline is one of these that comes up. One who is upright, not one who is known for being shady or, or um, having a double standard, but one that is upright. One who is holy, set apart, that looks different from the world around us. One who is disciplined, again, 
Not one that is just controlled by the passions that come in our hearts, but one who says, I'm going to do what's right, not what is comfortable right now. And here's another one. One who holds firmly to God's message. The idea being sound doctrine. That's the term that's used. To be able to encourage and correct other people. So part of loving what is good is getting into God's word and letting it change our hearts. And the term here, sound doctrine, could be translated healthy teaching. And when we see this term used, it has to do with our lifestyles. Leaving the sinful nature behind and not pursuing sinful stuff, but pursuing what is good. And all of these qualities here we look at and we can think, man, these qualities are wonderful. These are amazing. This is what all of us can shoot for. In your uh, church newsletter that was handed to you this morning, there's the sermon notes. One of the things I'd love for you to do is go home and pick one of these qualities and say, this is a quality that I wrestle with. And I'm going to spend this week praying about it several times a day and pursuing this quality and helping this quality flow out of my life. If you look at this list of things that we came up here, can you see some things up here that you think, yeah, that's something that I really, really wrestle with and I can think of a few times this week that I have fallen short in? Oh, man. Yeah. If you're shaking your head, no, we need to talk. And the next lesson will be about lying, right? No. We have our shortcomings, that, that sinful nature that we wrestle through um, sometimes, sometimes is there, sometimes comes out. But this list of qualities shows us what Paul's been talking about to Timothy. Teach people to look like this because God's Spirit's been placed in them to transform them so they can do this. So they can really look more like what God wants them to be. Now in our world, I talked about is that there is a lot of heroes in our world that do not do good, right? We can see tons of examples of that. Let's look at a few. Who knows who this is? This is Thanos, right? If you've ever watched the Avenger movies, Thanos is the ultimate bad guy. And Thanos' purpose in life is to gather up all the Infinity Stones so that he can destroy half of the life in all the universe with a snap of his finger because there's too many people, beings, and beings alive in this life, right? That's his whole purpose. And so he goes through all these movies in order so that he can destroy half of uh, life on earth. If you've not seen the movies, I will not ruin it for you. But everything about this guy is twisted. Everything about him is one who does not love what is good? He has a good in his mind, but it's so twisted from reality that it's disastrous. And he will do anything that he chooses to accomplish this end and even destroying half the life in the universe. He's a bad dude. He's not a dude who loves what is good. At least the good within him is so twisted that he can't even see it anymore. Here's another one. This is one that is probably, if there was a universal bad guy from the last century, it's probably him. Even though there's two other world dictators that were responsible for much, much greater genocide than him. Adolf Hitler um, didn't do near the destruction in some ways, 
that Stalin and Mao Zedong did as far as body counts. Unbelievable destruction last century. But if you know some of the story of this guy, um, and I know some, and I tend to read a lot of biographies and I love those, but I tend to stick to people who are going to call me higher. (laughs) I think there would be some great things to learn from reading a biography about him, but there would be some darkness that I'd have to fight off too that I'm not sure that I, I want to go there. But anyway, Adolf Hitler, through some various choices in life, became one that was convinced that he was going to purify Europe and, by extension, the rest of the world. And it led him and the people that followed him, and there were millions that thought he was a hero at this point in time, followed him to destroy the lives of many. And when history looks at him now, we look back and say, is this one who loved what was good? No, no way. He's not one who loved what was good at all. When you look at these qualities that, that Paul says, this is the example of someone who looks what is good, we see someone very different in the picture here. We see violence. We see the opposite of, of all of it. Let's look at another one. Here's another one. Who knows who this is? David Hasselhoff, okay? Yeah. David Hasselhoff, uh, a few years ago, uh, was, was a symbol of a lot of things. And I want, for our purposes here, for him to represent just the celebrities that are out there. David Hasselhoff, if you uh, remember, he was one that had pictures of him all over the place, and he was in all sorts of different TV shows, and I think he did some movies as well. And, man, it was hard to keep a shirt on that guy. You know, he just didn't seem to be able to keep a shirt on. He always was running around without a shirt. But if you look at his life and the things that he was involved in, even though posters were everywhere and people talked about how wonderful he was and how great he was, there's a lot of things about his life and how he went about things that just doesn't represent what was good. He's a guy that had a lot of selfishness, has a lot of selfishness in his life, instead of saying, man, what's really, really good that I can do? Think about celebrities now, whatever they may be, whoever they may be, are they people that really want what is good? And again, our world is in desperate need of people who love what is good. Here's another one. Oh man, this is evil right here. <laughs> lots and lots of evil. <laughs> Phil, you're a Packer fan. I'm sorry, but I mean, I just gotta, I gotta preach some conviction here, Phil. Right? No. I just want to think about this to represent the sports stars that are out there. I remember a while back, I saw a news clip that there was the first time in a number of years that the NFL had gone an entire month without someone being arrested, without one of the players being arrested. Hey, there's lots of exceptions. There's some phenomenal football players out there that love what is good. I was, uh, for a few minutes, about from me to Gary away from Drew Brees uh, once. And I watched how he interacted with people. And I came away with understanding that Drew Brees, at least in the context I saw him, was a very kind person that cared much for the people that he was talking with. He didn't talk about himself. He was really curious about who the people were that he was talking with. He demonstrated some phenomenal qualities. There's great exceptions, but there's a lot of athletes out there that are stars, that are posters are everywhere, that make a lot of money, and they do not love what is good. 
think we can see that. Here's another example. And this is a faceless politician here. Our world is full of politicians in our world. We're just hopefully through an election season here. We'll see. But I get the impression when I read the news and I listen to speeches that there's many who do not love what is good. There's all sorts of ulterior motives that they're in these positions of power and not necessarily one who loves what is good. And so our world is in desperate need of people who love what is good to be an example for the rest of us. I spent some time this week in the back looking at the bulletin board that we have up there that has some pictures and and it's updated from time to time. But it has pictures of people who are part of the church here. And I just looked and I thought, boy, there's some people up here who really love what is good. And they show it in their lives. And I took some of these and I put them up here. I'm going to talk through them for a few minutes. Now, if your name's not up here, it's okay. My name isn't up here and Beth's name isn't up here, okay? And so we all know that Beth is wonderful and amazing, but she didn't make the list this time, okay? It's just, I just chose a few, that's all. People who love what is good that we can look to as heroes. Here's a couple. Um, I'm sure uh, Carl and Karen and Mark and Kim are just going to love this, right? Carl and Mark both serve as elders in the church here. And walking side by side with these guys and being in meetings with them, what I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt is they serve in these roles not because of any power grab whatsoever. They serve because the church asked them to serve faithfully in those roles. Their wives are great women of faith that are a great example for all of us. Here are some examples of people who love what is good. Here's another. Kathy's watching from home today. But Kathy is one who is is very introverted, very quiet. But there's a number of things that she does in her own way, very quietly within the church, that shows that she loves what is good. When we have the big food drive for the, the Mount States Children's Home, It supplies a huge amount of food that that children's home goes through. And the church here donates thousands of pounds, if I remember right, per year. Kathy is the one that continually takes it, weighs it, makes sure it gets where it needs to go. In her ways, she shows that she loves what is good. She's the hero that we can look to. Here's some others I found on the board here. No, Marianne, Marianne, excuse me, Marianne Brown. Now, Doug went to be with God here a few years ago, and Marianne is uh, just is faithful. And I know that uh, she, when she can, when uh, COVID isn't raging, she uh, offers up her home so life groups can meet in her homes. She shows that she's one that loves what is good. I was talking to Beverly this morning. Beverly loves to drive from Ennis every Sunday to be here. Beautiful drive. But what an example for all of us, saying, I will make the effort, I will make the sacrifice to be where God's people are, because I'm excited about meeting with my family when assembly happens. Uh, Lori is one that I know that, for me, is uh, extremely encouraging. Lori says, whatever you want me to pray for, you let me know, and I will pray for it several times a day. Boy, that's encouraging for me. And if you noticed in the newsletter, 
she talked to Chelsea, Lori did here a few days ago, and said, hey, let's put together some people that want to write Christmas cards of encouragement to people in the church, and uh, I'll help organize that. And so if you want to be a part of that, you want to do that, just contact Chelsea or Lori. They're going to put some uh, some feet to the gospel and just encouraging people during this holiday season. Um, now Delbert and Laura, the White family here, are beautiful girls uh, that they have. Now Delbert and Laura have uh, been in quarantine since uh, this uh, all the the COVID stuff started. And Delbert has said, I, I go from house to house with my job, and I don't want to be one that brings the nastiness to somebody else and gets somebody else sick. Has said, in the meantime. We'll do whatever we can to be a blessing, even though we're meeting digitally at this point in time. And I've just seen so much wonderful spiritual fruit. Delbert has organized, Delbert and Laura have organized a life group that meets online. And so people that are not meeting in the assembly can meet online in a life group. I've just demonstrated that they love what is good. I look at Fred and Connie, who are two that every time I turn around, I hear about something good that they're doing for somebody else. And I appreciate that. And it's an example for me, an example for all of us. Here's um, this one, uh, the picture of the, the Staley family. Uh, they, uh, Briley is not in this picture because she got married here the last few days. If you haven't heard that, uh, there was uh, her, she's engaged, was engaged to a Canadian. She was living in Canada, and uh, Canada wasn't so keen with letting citizens from the U.S. in because of the COVID stuff, so the families flew to Mexico and the uh, Briley and Connor were married on a beach here this week because that's where they could meet and that's what was going, going to work. So they'll have a reception here at some point. But Briley is not in this picture because uh, she uh, uh, doesn't, doesn't live here anymore and, Bri- and Denali only lives here half the time, so half of her made the picture and that's how it works. Right? But just... Some of many, many, many in the church here who love what is good. And I'd encourage us, instead of looking to the world around us, people who are loud and popular and that, to be our heroes, but we look for people who love what is good by God's definition. There's an old song that I remember hearing, and I remember seeing the music video. It's called Angels Among Us. How many of you know that song? It's been around a while now. It used to be a new song, and now it's not. It's been, I remember when it came out. It's a country song about angels among us. And uh, the music video showed just doctors and, and teachers and various people who did good things among us. And the idea was we should honor those people around us that do that. And I think if we... Uh, Maybe I would change the words a little bit for our purposes. For our purposes, what we see is there's heroes among us, people among us that do good. And I can tell you that I'm encouraged by your lives day in, day out. And please understand, if your picture was not up here, (laughs) please don't take that personally. I just picked a few, that's all. But for all of us, I hope what we can do is make that decision today. Look at that list of qualities that Paul gave to Timothy and said, these, these are the people. That's what you want to look like. Have those qualities just pouring out of your life. And uh, we can look at those qualities and say, that's the type of person that I want to be. And we look around among us. 
and see the spiritual heroes among us and say, those are the type of people that I want to look like and I want to be. When we do that, it's amazing how the Spirit of God transforms us to look more and more like him every day. And I pray as we go out this week that we continue to allow God's Spirit to transform us to look more like what he wants us to be. We're going to go into the Lord's Supper now, and then we'll sing our way out here in a few minutes. And if you would like to become a Christian today or you just want prayers, um, go ahead and head to the back sometime this morning. And there's people back there that are, will welcome you and love on you and pray with you, whatever you may have in your heart. Come on down. Let's participate in the Lord's Supper together.